Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. I'm said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadow lark. So God made a farmer. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornborough, and glad you're joining me again this week. Um, on this episode, I uh, I thought of what I would talk about today is, well, I'm calling this episode my thoughts on culture, food forests, aquaponics, and other popular food growing uh, techniques. But um, it's really those those food growing techniques that you see on social media all the time. They pop up on Facebook or wherever, and you, you see a lot of hype about them, but do you know anybody that's actually doing a lot of them? And, and I think that some of them are very good. Some of them might be overrated, but I just want to share my thoughts on a few of these things today. I'm actually going to talk about hugel culture, food forests, aquaponics, straw bale gardening, uh, tower gardens, wicking beds, gutter gardens, uh, deep mulch gardening, you know, the back to Eden method, and uh, some herb spirals. I want to talk about those. So I just want to cover a few of these things. You do, you see these things all the time popping up, uh, just People write posts on them, and I think they just get a lot of they get a lot of uh, traffic. But sometimes I think maybe they're getting a little bit more. They're getting that traffic because of the the hype or just maybe the the pictures or whatever. But I want to talk a little bit about them, my thoughts on each one of them. So uh, before we jump into that, I'll just tell you we've been doing a lot of stuff around here lately, getting things ready for the spring. And I know you're probably doing the same wherever you're at. Uh, it's a good. It's just that time of year when you're starting your seeds and you're getting your garden beds ready, and and uh, things are starting to happen, you know. And and I love this time of the year for the homestead. I just love it. I start gearing up, and and probably I jump the gun on a few things, but you know that that's okay. I mean, uh, you know, if even if you start a little too soon, you lose a few plants. Seeds are pretty cheap, so you just start over. <laughs> it's almost worth it just to to get your hands in some soil. So hope y'all are doing the same. It's a great time for uh, if you got any trees you're wanting to plant uh before they start budding or or, or going into to production um shrubs uh, bushes it's a good time to plant those so you know it's just a good time of the year for those things as well before the heat gets on them um but anyway let's just jump into our main topic for today let's start out with uh the food growing method of hugel culture now hugel culture is is a is a something you see a lot of on Facebook and in the other social medias, and I think it's well deserved. I think it's one of those things that has a hype to it, but for a good reason. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's a, it's a composting process employing raised beds constructed from de- decaying wood and other uh, biomass plant material. The process helps to improve soil fertility, water retention, and soil warming, and that benefits the plants grown on or near the mounds. Um, I, I think it's a great process. It's gotten really popular in the last few years. I think it's something that's been around for a long, long time. People have, have done this method. Um, now, I've done a little bit of a a twist on it. I've not actually you know, buried them in the ground, the logs and, and wood products in the ground. I've actually put some in the bottom of some raised beds, though, uh, to, to do that. So I have a little bit of experience with it, but even in that uh, method, I mean, it's still the same 
um, thought process behind it. But uh, technically, I think it's you bury, you dig a trench, you bury this wood, you hump the 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 soil up over it, and as that decays, whatever you're planting in that mound uh, would would be uh, would benefit from the uh, decaying wood and beneath it. Now, I think there there's some right ways and. Uh, I won't, I, well, I won't say wrong ways, but there's better ways and worse ways to do it. I think uh, one of the mistakes a lot of people use, they might use an extremely hardwood that just takes forever to start breaking down like like a black locust or something. Or just the opposite is true. They will throw something in an extremely soft wood that decays really quickly, you know, so it's only maybe benefiting for a year or two. Actually, what might be really good is a mixture of both. That way you get the early... And then the longer process uh, wood as well. Just have a have a variety of woods in there that would um, kind of do the short term and long term, or use a middle of the ground wood in general. But I think hugel culture is a fantastic uh, method for growing food on your property. And you know, being an urban homestead, it could be more utilized in raised beds and things like that than than actually digging trenches in your property. But perhaps you could still do that too. Um, I've seen people do that on small urban lots, you know, just dig a, like a, a trench. They might even incorporate that with swells and, uh, and use them together, um, to, uh, to grow their food. So it definitely has a place. I think it's something a person should look into, uh, and see whether it's something that would benefit you or not. Um, I also want to talk about the next thing I want to talk about is food forests. Now, food forests are a low-maintenance, sustainable, plant-based food production and agroforestry system based on woodland ecosystems. This incorporates fruit and nut trees, shrubs, herbs, vines, and perennial vegetables. And one of the more common aspects of these things is they have high yields that are directly useful to humans. Um, So you're going to make use of companion planting. Uh, You're going to make use of uh, a succession of layers to build a woodland habitat. Now, what you're doing is basically you're bringing the forest into a backyard, uh, building a food forest. And 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 like I said earlier, people think maybe you got to have acres and acres and acres to accomplish one of these. I've seen these done on urban lots, and um, and I think you can even incorporate some aspects of it in just about any lot. And I think it's a great thing. Again, it may or may not be right for you, depending on your setup. Uh, this amount of sun that's hitting your property things like that because you're basically building these high layers middle layers low layers ground level layers and you know you're you're depending on the layout of a property it may or may not be something that's beneficial to you but i think it's an absolutely fantastic way you see a lot of stuff on social media about food forests and i tell you what there's a lot of videos on youtube and stuff where people uh, are building food forests and doing food forest tours uh, through their property and things like that and there's some it's pretty fascinating you know and the general idea is you know you take a stroll through your woods and you pick your lunch <laughs> pick your dinner and it's there and it's very low maintenance uh, very little input once it's established and uh, it, it's an absolutely fantastic way to grow food it really is so i think a lot about food forests i think they're i think they're fantastic and i don't think they're overhyped at all i think they absolutely have a have a great place uh, in in homesteading. The next thing I'll talk about is aquaponics. Now, this is something you do see a lot about, and I do think there is a little bit of overhype with aquaponics because I don't think everybody needs to practice it. I think it's ideal in certain situations. I think anybody could benefit from it, but I also think it takes a little bit of work, uh, a lot of input, a lot of maintenance, 
a lot of care to make sure it's right. But it's very ideal for the person who who maybe doesn't have the best setup. Maybe they have hard soil or not good soil in their yard. Uh, maybe they're limited on growing space, and this will grow food uh, quicker than normal. Let me just go back and first uh, just maybe say what aquaponics is before I start <laughs> building it up or tearing it down. Um, it's any system that combines conventional aquaculture with hydroponics, and that's um, cultivating plants and water. It's a symbiotic environment. Uh, it, it, in an aqua, it, in an aquaponic system, water from an from an aquaculture system, which is where your your fish and the wastewater from the fish, is fed into a hydroponic system, where the byproducts are broken down by nitrifying the bacteria, initially into nitrites and subsequently into nitrates, which are utilized by the plants as nutrients. And then the water is then recirculated back to the aquaculture system, basically to get rebuilt back up for the uh, the waste to put back into it. It's just a circulation, and there's all kinds of setups for this. I mean, you see you see people building them out of IBC tanks, out of those blue water barrels. You see people building them in ground. You see people you know doing all kinds of setups uh, with aquaponics. Again, I think they're they're awesome in the right situation and. I don't know that they're needed, but I think they're great. Um, and again, this is something that I think I, I'm going to play with. I haven't actually done any aquaponics. I'm fascinated by it, though, because I'm an experimenter and I like to try things. And I would like to talk about it with even more authority. I do want to do some aquaponics um, on a small scale. And I, I will. And, and I'll have a further determination on whether it's something that's worth it or not. But I think it's uh, I think it's worth doing. And I think it's uh, very worth doing in the right situation. It's not something I need to do, but again, it's something I like to do. Uh, which takes me to the next thing I want to talk about, which is straw bale gardening. Um, I think this is uh, seriously overhyped, but it also works. <laughs> I mean, there's no denying it works. A lot of people have done it and grown food in it, and I think it's fairly easy to grow food in it. You buy bales. You set them up. It's basically just a, a another type of container gardening, and the outside of the, str- the straw bale actually becomes the container, and the middle of the straw bale, uh, you know, becomes your growing area. And um, once that straw starts to decompose and gets conditioned, you're ready to plant in it. And you know, there's no denying it works. There's no denying it grows food. Um, and again. In your situation, it very well could be worth doing. If you have very poor soil, um, it's just not an ideal growing situation. Uh, maybe you have a, a blacktop lot behind your house. Who knows? I don't know your situation. Yeah, stack. You could do that instead of building raised beds. Um, I think it would be cheaper initially. I think long term it could cost more. Um, I think there's some things you got to be careful about, though. Uh, I first heard about. This uh, from a guy who goes by David the Good, and he has a YouTube channel. You know, check him out. But he talked about this on on my podcast. Uh, I don't know, over a year ago, probably. And I've heard him talk about it other times as well. Uh, you got to be really careful where you're getting your straw. You can also do this in hay, and I think there's there's a pretty. Uh, I've I've heard a lot of people say you want to use hay. Then I've heard people say no, use straw. It kind of goes back and forth. But you got to be real careful where you get that straw or hay from because there's something they spray on the fields it's a it's a broadleaf weed controller um 
one of the more common ones I think is called uh, uh, Grazon. And they spray this on, and, and basically it's made for animals to eat and whatnot. Well, that stuff lays on there, and it doesn't go away. It's really powerful stuff. And when you try to go, you try to grow into that those bales. It's just not going to work very well um, because it's got that that uh, herbicide in there. So that's something you want to be very careful of. If you're going to do straw bale gardening, make sure you know where you're getting your straw from and if they've sprayed anything on it. Um, again, it's it's got some benefits. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to do. Again, I've not really done this. Uh, this is something I, I haven't found necessary to do. But you know what I think? This year I actually have a couple straw, straw bales laying around here. I think I'm going to throw them in my greenhouse and try it just again so I can talk about it with a little bit more authority and just for fun, you know, just to say I did it. You know, I, I don't need to do it. I got raised beds. I have I have garden areas all around my house. I don't need to do it, but I'd like to do it just to try it out. And uh, it looks like it does work pretty well. It looks like, it, you know, if you condition the, the straw bales well, things seem to grow pretty well in them. And then when you're done, you could you could use that uh, straw as a mulch and, or put it in your compost bin and, and uh, use it out the rest of the way. So I, I'm not against it. I just don't know that it's always necessary or even beneficial. And I do think there's some dangers to it depending on where your straw comes from. So that's my thought on straw bale gardening. Uh, something I see quite a bit on, and I see different versions of it. I think there was an original version of it, and then there's been other kinds of these, but it's the tower gardens. Now, I think there is an actual trademarked um, product called a tower garden, and I think it's one of the original ones. And I think it uses aeroponics. It's a it's a vertical aeroponic growing system. Uh, some of them are hydroponic, and some of them actually use soil. And these allow you to grow up to maybe even more twenty vegetables, herbs, fruits, flowers, in less than three square feet. So it's a it's a really compact area. It's great for small spaces. I, I think they're really awesome. Uh, may not need it if you got plenty of room. I think for urban homesteaders. A uh, small space got people with just a, a balcony or a patio. I think these could be awesome. I think even for growing indoors under a grow light, these things could be pretty awesome. Uh, grow a lot of food in just a really small space. So, yeah, I think tower gardens are great. Uh, not necessary for everybody, but I think if you're limited on space or something to look into, again, it's one of them things you see a lot of hype about. Uh, a lot of people writing about it, a lot of people are talking about them, but maybe for a good reason. I mean, I think anytime we can find ways to grow as you know a, a mass amount of food in a very small space, it's a good thing. It, it, it enables way more people to be able to grow food. I think they're pretty pricey, though. I've seen I've seen the original ones, and I think they're pretty pricey. I've seen some some other versions of them that uh, are a little cheaper. Uh, I've seen the ones that take the soil. I think they're a little cheaper. Uh, again, I've seen actually some DIY ones that, that I think would work that a person could do. So, I mean, you could, you know, check out Pinterest or, or something like that to try to find some some ideas for some DIY tower gardens and, and make your own. But I think they're a great concept. Um, I think they uh, they have a lot of potential to uh, uh, make it possible for people everywhere to grow their own food. So, I'll give it a thumbs up. I like the tower gardens. Next thing I'll talk about is are wicking beds. Now, wicking beds, you know, as much as I've been in the space of growing your own food for a few years, I really didn't start really hearing about wicking beds till two or three years ago. And um, they, these are a garden bed with a, uh, what you do is you, you'll 
run water through the bottom. They basically have a waterproof lining in about the middle of the bed or a little lower, and it holds a reservoir of water at the bottom, uh, and then the water is is drawn upwards like a wick to the surface of the bed to water your plants. And you have this, you can either just pour water in that gets wicked up, or you can have an ever-flowing system with a pump system that keeps water flowing through the bottom of it, constantly wicking water up. And I think they're great. I've seen some I've seen some fantastic systems. I've actually seen them uh, uh, implemented with aquaponics even, where you have a couple aquaponics. Uh, Jack Spearco actually uh, has a survival podcast, and he has a YouTube channel. And he's been doing a lot with wicking beds lately. And I, I'm definitely going to do this. I'm actually out of an area marked out in my greenhouse where at the bottom of my, underneath my shelves on the very bottom layer, I'm actually going to put a wicking bed in one side of it and actually pump that water out of my pond. I have a little um, decorative backyard pond that I'm just going to pump that water through it um, and use that uh, for the wicking bed and, and just experiment with that a little bit. I think it's, I think they're fantastic. And I don't see, I don't see any downside to those. I really don't. I mean, you're, you're going to, uh, it's going to be way more efficient with the water. Um, I think that things are going to grow way better in it. And you know, you're just not going to have to worry about getting out there and watering it all the time. <laughs> I think there's just so many benefits to the, the wicking beds and I'm, I'm anxious to get started with, with one of those, uh, this year, um, more than likely gutter gardens are something I've been seeing a lot of pictures of you you might have even seen this picture it goes around facebook quite a bit and it's all these gutters hanging up and they got strawberries growing in them or lettuce growing in them or the one i see a lot is the one with the strawberries growing out of it i think they can work I, these are pieces of rain gutters and, and um they're being used as basically just long shallow pots and they're for utilizing spaces that normally aren't used for growing uh, food like along fences and up the sides of walls again for the urban homesteader i think these have some potential you know the downside of these are there's a lot of things you can't grow in them they're pretty shallow uh, so only things that have a really shallow root system your greens a lot of your greens lettuces and things will grow pretty well in them um, strawberries obviously grow well in them. i see a lot of people growing strawberries in them if you're putting the dirt in them now if you're just using soil in them you're going to have another problem. That's they're going to dry out really quickly because they're so shallow. They're going to dry out rather fast. So you're probably going to have to run a um, some kind of a, a system to keep them watered, uh, soaker hoses or something. Now, I do see these used in with hydroponics and aquaponics where you have a continual flow rolling through them, flowing out of them, just, you know, and then you'll have like a medium in there and using them as a, as the, the containers for hydroponics or aquaponics. Now I think that works better uh, because you're, uh, of course you're not going to have to worry about the, how quickly they're going to dry out. Uh, they're going to get more nutrient obviously from, from what you're putting through them. I mean, that could be a benefit. Uh, I won't, I'm not going to knock them or, or say anything too bad about them because I think again, in certain situations, I think they're, they're perfect. Like I said, you got a, a wall on the back of a patio you want to use to grow something absolutely you it just multiplies the places you can grow something you have a fence down the side of your house or something you want to just you know um, mount these on there and and, and uh, plant things in them i think it's great matter of fact there's even a commercial version of these now i was just on with uh looking at lowe's the other day and they actually sell these gutters for gardening they have a complete setup for gardening they're not rain gutters they're gardening gutters 
So for mounting on fences and stuff. So, I mean, they're even making a place in the, the commercial, um, you know, the bigger box stores and things. So it's, it's good to be a common thing. It's a popular thing. The pictures are awesome. It makes it appear that you could grow just about anything in them, but you can't, it's going to have to be shallow rooted, um, things. So, but they, they can work. Absolutely. Another thing I want to talk about is deep mulch gardening. I think deep mulch gardening, or as it's commonly known, is the back to Eden method. And this just uses layers of mulch uh, to, uh, basically it helps to, to keep the weeds down, to keep the soil moist, and also to add organic matter to the soil. I think it's awesome. Uh not necessarily in every situation. I used to use it just about in every place I grew anything. Since then, I, I've actually found it unnecessary in my raised beds to do that. I do have a, a, a nice long bed all the way along the side of my house, on my south side of my house, that gets all day sun, even real hot, late sun. I find that, that the uh, the deep mulch gardening works really good in that bed. That's right in the ground. Like I said, direct sunlight all day long, all the way till the sun goes down. So it gets a lot of heat, and I find that that mulch really helps to keep that ground moist over there. So I do still practice that deep mulch uh, method in that garden there, in that garden bed. But I don't use it in my raised beds anymore. I just don't. I've actually found it just not necessary. I, I don't. It didn't hurt anything, but it was a little bit more work in some ways because I'd have to pull that back to plant and. I don't know. It just seemed like a little bit of extra work because I'd have to basically remove that to add anything to my soil. And then to do my planting and things like that, and then put it back down, and it was a little bit of work, and I just don't find it necessary. The weeds in those beds aren't really a problem. I've got them pretty well weeded out to where I don't get a lot of weed action in those beds, so it doesn't really matter for that. They don't seem to dry out too quickly, so I don't really have to too hard of a time retaining moisture in those beds. So I don't practice it there anymore. But again, it's proven method. It's a popular method. It. Uh, uh, so many people are seeing great successes with it and me too, that I think it's something that you definitely should, no matter your situation, it's something to look into and figure out the areas that it's best for, uh, and do some of it anyway on your homestead. I think it's, it's worth doing. It's a very good method and, uh, it works. Um, the next thing I'll talk about, and, and really the last thing I'll talk about, are herb spirals. These are basically just raised beds built into a spiral that's upward. And uh, it, what it does is it creates a variety of microclimates. And, and these different microclimates accommodate a variety of herbs. You have some herbs that like a drier, hotter climate. That would go on the very top. You know, Your water's going to run down. It's going to dry out quicker. It's going to be hotter there. Those herbs are going to uh, are going to benefit from that microclimate. Well, come down the east side of your uh, your uh, herb spiral, you're going to have the things over there that that as they go down a little further, they're going to have a little bit more um, moisture in the soil. But it's going to get cooler as the day goes by. You're not going to have as many hours of sunlight. So things that are don't need as much sunlight or that need to be a little cooler can go on the east side of that um, of that spiral. And you're and, and more to the north side. Well, things that are going to need more heat, but yet even have more moisture as the day goes on, you kind of work those down on the west side of your herb spiral, and and it just creates these different microclimates depending on where you're at around the uh, the spiral. So it's great for growing just a variety of herbs. You'll just try different, and there's there's a, a whole bunch of uh, material out there on the internet. Maybe I'll do a um, 
a podcast sometime on just herb spirals and talk about a breakdown more of the different herbs you'd put in different microclimates around an herb spiral because i think there is a lot to that i think it'd be beneficial anybody's thinking about building one i think they're awesome and and you don't necessarily need one if you've got a lot of space on your property and you can find those different uh, those different microclimates or different climates on your property and plant the different herbs in different areas but this is a good way that you can keep them compact all in one place fairly close to your kitchen where you need your herbs you want to want fresh herbs you just walk out your back door and pick them off the herb spiral and you can create like i said all these microclimates and and that that really work for each different kinds of herbs that you would grow in that and it's just a great way to grow a lot of herbs in a small space and grow them the best you can absolutely worth having i think on any property don't need them on any property but I think they're fantastic to have on any property. And a lot of these techniques I talk about today, a lot of them are used in what's called permaculture. I talk about that occasionally. Um, herb spirals are pretty popular in permaculture. Uh, of course, uh, as I mentioned earlier, hugel culture, food forests. These things are you know pretty, pretty popular in, in permaculture as well. But I think the herb spiral is something that I would say just about any homestead could benefit from especially if you got just a, a kitchen garden right outside your back door of your kitchen or something like that. They're just a great addition to any garden. And you know what? They look kind of cool too. And you can build them out of a lot of different things. I've seen them build out of you know wood. I've seen them built, of course, rocks, bricks, um, block. I mean, you can you can get pretty creative. Uh, there's a lot of pictures on the web. You can just you know search, do a Google search for um, herb spiral images and, and see some pretty neat ideas out there. So I think they're absolutely something uh, that a person can benefit from and i would i would recommend it i really would i think every homestead should probably have one not necessary absolutely necessary but i think they're a great addition to your homestead well uh, that's about all i'm going to talk about these are just some methods i see popping up people ask me about them all the time what do you what's your thoughts on hugel culture what's your thoughts on aquaponics you know tower gardens whatnot and i thought you know i'll just cover a few of those things i didn't get real in depth on any one of them but I think every one of them have a place in some homesteads. And I think they're, they're all, they all work. There's no doubt they all work. Some of them are more beneficial than others. Some of them absolutely um, are more important, I think, than others as far as uh, growing your own food. I think they all work. I think that if there's really no reason why anybody can't grow some food no matter where you're at. And that's why I do like these alternative methods. I think that wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you can grow food. And we come up with a lot of excuses and say, well, I wish I had 20 acres or I could grow my own food. No, if you have a patio, you can grow your own food. You may not be able to grow all your food, but you can grow a lot of food. And um, and I think that some of these methods really make that better, make that easier, make <laughs> actually take away a lot of our excuses for growing for growing some of our food. So look into them, check them out. If there's some other uh, growing methods that you'd like to have my opinion on, uh, shoot me an email. I'd love to talk about them. Uh, maybe it's something I've never even heard of, and I can look into it a little bit, and maybe it'll be something that I think, hey, I, I think I could use that on my homestead. So, uh, yeah, if you know of any others that that kind of you wonder, hey, does that really work or not, uh, just shoot me an email at sthomestead at gmail.com and i would love to uh maybe talk about it uh 
That's all I'll talk about on this episode. If you are not a member of the Homestead Front Porch Facebook group, which is the official Facebook group of this podcast, uh, do a search on Facebook for Homestead Front Porch. You'll find the group. It's a closed group, but all you have to do to join is request to join, and we'll get you in there. And there's some great discussions going on in there all the time. And it's not just me talking about things. As a matter of fact, there's a whole bunch of people in there that – give advice and talk about things and even know more than I do. So it's a great place to hang out and learn and, uh, and just be part of a community of other homesteaders. So whether you're a seasoned homesteader or just beginning or just aspiring to be one someday, jump in that group and uh, get to know some folks and um, be inspired. It really is a great place to hang out. So hope to see you in there. Uh, you can find the show notes for this episode at uh, smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 58. And also, I wanted to tell you, we had a uh, guest post um, that was posted at uh, Small Town Homestead earlier this week where uh, a fellow shared his first year uh, building his own homestead. And uh, pop on over to the website and check that article out. A guy wrote quite a bit. He just basically laid out all the things he'd done on his first year of the homestead. Started out in a, uh, just a bare I think it was 40, 41 acres, something like that, and uh, started out in a tent, ended up turning a shed into a tiny home, um, just started building his homestead, you know, and I think it's worth checking out. Uh, go read that article and uh, maybe leave him a comment on what he's doing there. I think he's got a lot going on, and uh, hopefully he'll be uh, writing more and uh, keeping us up to date on what he's doing there on his homestead. So check that out. Hey, I'm really glad you all uh, joined me this week to uh, listen to the podcast. I'm trying to get back on track here. Things are starting to get slowly back to normal. Um, maybe I can start getting a little bit more regular here about doing some podcasts. Maybe even start doing some more interviews real soon. I had a couple lined up before uh, before things started going haywire that I had to cancel. So hopefully I can get uh, those two back on uh, to, to reschedule and come back on the show. And uh, maybe start doing some more interviews and getting back to normal here. I'm, I'm really excited about doing that because, oh, wow, it's just been crazy. And I just... I like to talk about these things, you know. I've mentioned before that uh, I like to do these podcasts to help inspire others, but it also keeps me motivated and inspired. And uh, I want to be able to talk about what I'm doing around here. I want to be able to uh, learn right along with other folks and try new things. So, uh, yeah, I enjoy doing the podcast and uh, writing articles and things like that. Although they are time-consuming, I think they're worth it. And uh, I'm really glad that you all uh, have joined me on this episode. And if you... I wouldn't mind, uh, pop on over to iTunes and leave us a review because, you know, we've had quite a few really good reviews and, uh, you know what, and those reviews really do help keep me motivated and, and help me realize that what I'm doing, uh, is doing some good and people are being inspired by it and uh, it makes me just want to, can't wait to get another one out. You know, it just, it just excites me and says, okay, I want to get another one out. I want to, I want to do my part in this. So, uh, if you don't mind, pop on over to iTunes, leave us a review uh, you can go to the show notes if you don't know how to leave an iTunes review at the end of the show notes at the bottom of the show notes of every episode I always have a um, there's a link there on how to leave us an iTunes review and, and you just click on that and it kind of walks you through it so uh, appreciate that appreciate those of you who have done that it's been a lot to me and um, hope to join you again next week and uh, happy homesteading God bless thanks for listening to see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. 
There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow. Thank you.